The message you're about to listen to is a recording from God's favorite house. It is our prayer that you listen, your life will be transformed, and you will be taken to greater heights in your walk with Jesus. Amen. God bless you as you listen to this message. Amen. Okay. Um, today, this weekend, we are starting, as you know, a new <laughs> series, Me or Jesus. Me or Jesus is actually a question. And it's, it's one question that every Christian must wrestle with. It's one question every Christian must wrestle with. Me or Jesus. And this weekend, we are laying a foundation for the whole series, and by the grace of God, by next weekend, we'll be diving deeper into um, the subject of our contemplation. Luke chapter 10, my text for today, from verse 25 to 28. Luke 10, 25 to 28. It says, one day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? How do you interpret it? Then the man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. I mean, isn't Jesus amazing? People come to him with questions, testing him. And in this case, Jesus ignored his folly and led him to the question. And said, you know the question already. This, what does the law say? The law says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your might, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, do this and live. Do this and live. And, and many times, we want something complex. We want God to, to strike thunder in heaven. And the whole place will shake. Then we will know that this is what God is saying. But you see, God is in the little simple things. God is so amazing that if we are not careful, we miss him. We miss him to the search of the spectacular. And God, Jesus was saying to the man, what does the word say? The word say, Love, your, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, that is it. Do it and live. Many times, we want Jesus to say, bring a cow, bring a goat, bring a two-year-old tortudo up on one leg for seven times, up on the other leg for five times, tie a, ride, a red rope around it, and get in front of your house. Sometimes we just want to create a lot of concussions. But God is saying, do the word and live. Do the word and what? And live. And live. If you look at the question this man asks Jesus, it is a very fundamental question. This question this man asked Jesus. It's one of the most important questions a person can ask. What's the question? What should I do 
to inherit eternal life? It's one of the most important questions ever. It's a, it's a question that the different religions of the world are trying to solve or to, or to propose a solution, to the, an answer to the question, what can I do to inherit eternal life? I mean, interestingly, if you were here last weekend, you heard the, the message of a college teaching, of, you know, and there was a part and he talked about Islam, and it's so, 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 so true and so profound. Islam, for instance, says, kill. If you kill somebody in the name of Allah, you will have 21 virgins waiting for you in Aljana, in heaven. So you have people that, <laughs> that just want 21 virgins. They don't want the heaven, they just want the virgins. But, but Jesus says, love, love. Love God. Love your neighbor. You will have eternal life. I mean, such a contrast. Such a contrast. The man was, was at the wrong motive, at the funny motive. But the question was, was significant regardless of his motive. The man had a very, very questionable motive. His motive was wrong. But the question was right nonetheless. And Jesus focused on the question and provided for you and I what has the potential to totally change our lives. Two reasons why the question is so right. The first one is eternity is in the heart of man. Eternity is in the heart of every human being. There's a huge void in the heart of every human being that we are trying to fill. Some people are trying to fill it with, you know what, alcohol, with gambling, with illicit sex, with money, with pride, you know. Some people are trying to fill it with fame. But it's only Jesus that can fill that void. It's only God that can fill that void. So you have a void in you, there's a discontent in you. You know, there's more. Guess what? You've come to the right place. God wants to fill that void for you. So it's, it's, a, it's, it's a very, very significant question in that regard. If he hadn't asked that question, maybe we would have had to read the scripture further to get the answer. But the man just helped us find the answer. So that's the first reason. The second reason why that question is so significant is because eternal life is inherited. The man says, Who, what should I do to inherit? Now, if you look at that word, inherit, inherit means to receive by birth. To receive by birth. It is not something you work for. It's not something you earn. You receive by being a member of a family. So you cannot inherit something that belongs to somebody else's father. You know that. You know? So what this man was saying, in essence, when he said, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? What he was saying, in essence, is how do I put myself in the line of God's family? How do I put myself in the lineage of God? How do I come to a place where I can inherit from God? How do I become a child of God? Even though it was loaded with sarcasm because a Jew already considers himself a child of God. A Jew, doesn't, a Jew feels everybody else are not children of God, that they are the children of God, and rightly so. And that's why Jesus was saying to them in John 8 that don't think God cannot raise up children from stones. Don't say we are Abraham's children. So for a Jew to be asking Jesus, what should I do to inherit heaven? How can I become a child of God? It was, it was, it was you, know, you know, how people come to you and they ask you questions, not because they feel they need the answer, just because they want to shame you. How, how can I, if a Jew comes to Jesus and say, how can I inherit the, the kingdom of God? You know, the Jew, in this case particularly, he doesn't really think he's lacking. 
But I'm grateful he asked that question. Praise the name of the Lord. So, entering into the abundance of God has to come by inheritance. Can only come by inheritance. You have to be in the lineage of God. And that's what Jesus was saying. You have to be in the lineage of God. That's what the question implies. You have to be aligned with God. And there's a big difference between a child and a servant. There's a big difference. That's why, you know, when we sing that song, Come bless the Lord. You know, I, I prefer to sing, Oh, ye children of the Lord. And not only servant. They put servant on the screen, but I say children. You know, <laughs> I never say servant. Like, lie. You know why? A child, sorry. Yeah. There's a difference between a child and a servant. Huge difference. Huge difference. I mean, again, every other religion of the world, they see themselves as servants of God. It is only Christianity. It's only in Christianity that we see ourselves as children of God. Big difference. Big only a child that is excited about that. <laughs> it's, it's huge. Big difference. Big difference. And this is what sets Christianity apart. The scripture says, behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us that we may be called children of God. It's, it's, it's awesome amazing. The gap is like light and day. For instance, a servant is accepted and appreciated based on what he does. Guess what? A child is accepted and appreciated based on who he is. Not what he does. A servant is, feels, I need to, I need to do more to be accepted. I need to, you see, when you work with people that have a servant mentality, it's easy to tell. When you work with people that have a child mentality, it's easy to tell. The person, I mean, and in church, the church, listen, the church is filled with some people that have a servant mentality. The church is filled with some people that have a child mentality. I've worked with people, some of them have servant mentality, some of them have a child mentality. It's one that, say you're a child, you see, there's a proverb that says that the child that raises his hands, that his parents will lift up, will carry you as a child. If you say you're a servant, you treat you as a servant. That's how, God, that's how God deals. That's how God deals. A servant feels accepted and appreciated based on what he does. A child, on the other hand, is accepted and appreciated based on what who he is. Who he is, not what he does. This is who I am. Light and day. Another example. A servant is accepted and appreciated based on his workmanship. Let's put it another way. While a son is accepted and appreciated, appreciated, appreciated based on his relationship. I want to move very fast, that's why. Based on his relationship. When a servant walks into the door of the house. He relates to the environment based on his assignment, based on his workmanship, based on, I need to put this table right, I need to do this, I need to do that, I need to do this. When a child enters the house, he relates with the environment based on his relationship with his parents. This is daddy's chair. Even if the child needs to rearrange it, this cup, the child will say, I need to make, put it here so that, because I know daddy will be happy if it's here. Huge difference. Only a child. It's like light and day. A servant, another example, is accepted and appreciated based on his productivity. Whereas a son is accepted and appreciated based on his identity. A servant feels, if, if, if I produce more, and you know that, if you are, if you are work, if you, if you produce more, what happens? You get pro, promoted. And there's nothing wrong with promotion. 
but a son, a child, feels secured and accepted based on his identity, not his productivity. Productive, but that's not where he derives his acceptance from. That's not where he derives his appreciation from. He derives his acceptance and appreciation on his identity. Miles apart, another way of looking at it. A servant is accepted and appreciated based on his contribution. A son is accepted and appreciated based on his position, not his contribution, based on his position. So even though a servant is working and performing and productive and contributes, a servant is still not an heir. Even though a servant is working and performing and productive and contributing, a servant will still not inherit anything. Even though the servant does all the work and seals all the deals, the servant still will not inherit anything. (laughs) But guess what? Even before a child can work, perform, produce, contribute, the child is an heir. So, how do you shift? You need to shift. You need to shift. Am I relating as a a child? Am I relating as a servant? Even before a child can work, perform, produce, and contribute, everything belongs to the child. Everything the father has belongs to the child. Have you heard children, when when their father is really stressing them, or their parent is really stressing them, have you heard children say to their parent, this is my father's house, go to your father's house. I mean, children say that, and they are not joking. <laughs> they are serious. You know why? Because when a child comes in, he owns it. Even though a servant builds it, he doesn't own it. When you are in God's house, you need to relate as what? As a child of the house. As a child of God, as a child of the house. If you relate as a servant, you will just walk and walk and walk and walk. People that are relating as children will own everything. Don't just say that's not my portion. And that's what some people say. No, no, no. Change your mindset. Do what? When when a servant fails, for instance, he can be fired. When a child fails, it can't be fired. He can't. He says, I will disown you. Babu. He will disown. Okay, disown this disown. What happens? You have to you have to drain all the blood in his remove your DNA from is that possible? You have to shave all his hair, everything carrying his your DNA, remove it. Since the mother has not disowned the son, you have to separate your own DNA from the mother's DNA. I mean, it's, it's just impossible. Just impossible. So, this man opens up a huge, a huge revelation for us with his, with his, with his sarcastic question. What can I do to inherit the kingdom of God. What should I do to inherit eternal life? But, but let's, let's take a look at Jesus' response in verse 26 to 28. Jesus' response, verse 26 to 28, he says, And Jesus replied, What does the Lord say? How do you read it? And the man answered, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. And you must love your neighbor as, as yourself. So Jesus is saying, it's all about love. It's all about love. You know, that's, that's why God says that he that cannot love does not even know God. It's all about love. And he says there are two sides of this love. There's a vertical love. 
You love vertically. You love the Lord your God with some of your heart, some of your soul, some of your mind, some of your strength. No. You love the Lord your God with all, all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your strength. You should, you should love God until you are gassed out. You, you're even tired. That's what it means. And when you get strength, you continue to work. You continue to love me. So there's the vertical and there's the horizontal. What's the horizontal love? Love your neighbor. How? How do you love yourself? How do you love yourself? Let me tell you how you love yourself. You can't love yourself better than you currently love yourself. You can't love yourself better than you love yourself. You love yourself to the extent at which you know how to love yourself. So, how should you love your neighbor? And you see, it's a challenge to many of us. And to the Jews particularly. Because the Jews, they, re- they really embrace the love your God in the vertical, but they struggle in it. a lot in the horizontal. If you read, I mean, Genesis to Revelation, it's clear. They struggle, like, like you and I, they, they struggle in the, in the, in the horizontal. And that's why he asked Jesus a follow-up question. He says, who is my neighbor? And Jesus says, told him a story. You know the story? A man was traveling. He saw somebody that was attacked by bandits. The story of the good um, Samaritan. And and he said to him, which of these three, the Levite, the priest, or the Samaritan, was the neighbor of this man? And he says, I suppose it's the Samaritan. And he says, you have, you have answered correctly. Go and do likewise. So, so what does it mean? It means anyone I can reach out and help is my neighbor. Anyone I can reach out and help is my neighbor. And, and Jesus is saying, how do you love your neighbor as yourself? Now let's back. I'm, I'm looking at the horizontal right now because we're going to spend a lot of time on the vertical. We're going to bring everything together. You know, let's look at that scenario, for instance. How, if you, let's assume you see yourself on the floor there, needing help, what would you do? Let's assume you can see yourself needing help. Will you think that, is it right to do? Will you think of being politically correct? Will you think of being aligned with with Levitical priesthood? You won't even worry about all that. You will go ahead and you will help yourself. And guess what? That is what you have been doing every day. You have been helping yourself. You are here today because you helped yourself. You helped yourself brush your teeth. You helped yourself into your car. Or you took public transport. You helped yourself. You ate your food if you are not fasting. You helped yourself. And God is saying, it's challenging you and I. You, you see, we need, to, we need to do the horizontal love. And we need to do the vertical love. And love is a choice. Love is a choice. Love is a choice. When you marry someone, love is a choice. Even of choosing the person. When you choose God, when you say yes to Jesus, you, love is a choice. You have chosen to follow God. And by saying yes to God, or by saying yes to your spouse, or to the person you want to marry, what you have said is, you have said no to the hundreds of thousands of others that may be interested in you. So, love is a choice. Love is a what? It's a choice. I know some people, when we made that choice, sometime down the line, we we wish we didn't make the choice. I remember years ago, like, how many years ago now? December is 15 years that we have been married. So, like, 10 years ago. About five years, you know. <laughs> so, I asked my wife, I think you should, you should do, don't pull punches. 
just open, honest communication. And I, and I said to her, would you marry me again? If you had to choose. But right there, it's too late. <laughs> but if you had to choose, would you marry me? And, and, and she said, she said, um, yes, I would marry you, but I would not have married you when I married you. You've made me suffer a lot. You didn't have money for many things. But you went through a lot. If you can skip all that suffering, yes, I will still marry you. <laughs> Praise the name of the Lord. Well, <clears throat> I don't know. I don't know. Maybe by then, I don't know. I don't want to get into trouble, so I don't want to say something. <laughs> okay, so let's just stay on. It's not in my notes. I don't even know why I'm saying that now. Vertical love. Vertical. Let's look at vertical love. <laughs> you see, when, when, a, when a servant fails, let's say we are still at the contrast and pulling aside contrast servant son, child, servant child thing. When a servant fails, you see, he feels bad. Why does he feel bad? He feels bad because his job is on the line. That is why a servant feels bad. When a servant fails, a servant feels, oh, are they going to fire me? Oh, is it time for me to resign and run away? Oh, if a servant fails, a servant feels bad. Because his job is on the line. Guess what? When a child fails, a child feels bad because he let his father down. Huge difference. Huge difference. Because, why? Why does he, why does he feel bad because he let his father down? Because the son loves his father. The key word is what? Love. Because the son loves his father. The son is not worrying that, oh, I, I failed. They're going to, they're going to, I'm going to sleep in the cold. You know, they said a, a story of a, a couple that left their, their son for, in the forest. I mean, that is, I think they're on drugs or something. <laughs> something is wrong with them. Maybe they have 12 children. They just want to get rid of one. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't really read that story. My wife was telling me, you know, I was like, I did drunk. But in a normal situation, when a child fails, the child is not worrying that, oh, they're going to pack my load and they're going to send me packing. I mean, when you're grown, do you ever feel that way? I never did. And I did a lot of bad things when I was growing up. Some of it my mother has told you guys. But there was no single time that it never even crossed my mind. That they were going to send me packing. Instead, I was going to send them packing. <laughs> My point is this. A servant is worried about themselves and about their security. A son is worried about pleasing the father and making his father happy. Both the son and the father will fail because they are humans. Both the son and the father, the son and the child rather, will make mistakes because they are humans. But the, the, the servant is thinking of his own security, whereas the son is thinking of his father's pleasure. Now, those of us that are parents here, let me ask you a question. Are your children perfect? Are they perfect? Everybody here, one of, at least one of my child is perfect. Let me see your hands up. The children are not perfect. What is the follow-up question? Do you love them? Are you sure? How much? A little bit? Or absolutely Absolutely. 
Why do you love them absolutely? Because they are not perfect. Now, same thing with God. If we, that we are flawed, can love our children absolutely in spite of their imperfection, why do you think God will not love you absolutely in spite of your faults? God. It's a, it's, it's a punch on his face. He was saying, if you are a human, you know how to give bread to your children when they ask, how much more me? How much more will I give the Holy Spirit to them that ask me? Why do you think I will give you a stone for bread? And God says, put yourself in my situation. See what you are doing to me. Why do you think that because, oh, oh, I've, I've, I've faulted here. Oh, oh, I messed up here. Oh, oh, God will not love me. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? He says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. How much is everlasting? From Lai to Lai <laughs> that's everlasting. Forever and ever. Almost every house... I, I go, I, well, I don't go to a lot of houses like that, but the few I've gone to, you know, that have children that are maybe toddlers or, you know, they always put the painting of the child up in the, in the kitchen, or in the living room, jaga jaga painting. You just put it there, and it brings so much joy to the, to the mother, you know. But I look at that painting, you know. It's, I'm like, what is this? As they say, it's like a chicken has scratched, it's right, it's scratching. You know, what is this? But you see, guess what? To the mother, that painting is priceless. It's priceless. Do, do you think as a mother, when you look at that painting, oh, this painting is not as good as Leonardo da Vinci, so I will not be happy until my son can paint like Leonardo. Does it even cross your mind? So why is it that when you relate with God, you think your painting must be perfect before he's dancing? Just bring the painting home. He's dancing already. He wants to see it. <laughs> Praise the name of the Lord. Don't hide the painting from, from, from your school bag. Just show him. The challenge with us is we are comparing our painting with other people's painting. They are in maybe university. You are in primary one. You are seeing what they are painting and you are comparing it with your own. Stop doing that. Your painting is your painting. Tell, tell your neighbor your painting is your painting. <laughs> it's your painting. That is what it is. So embrace your painting. Don't compare your painting with my painting. Maybe I'm in a higher class. You don't know. Don't compare it. And it's so profound because if you look at this, you love your children at every stage of their development. You don't say to your child, oh, when you, when you are mature, then I'll love you. Who says that? Nobody says that. We love them. When, when they are, I mean, for those of us, you know, that have had to change diapers, you know, sometimes they wait until you are changing diapers. They just, they just spray your face, you know. <laughs> I mean, what, what do you do? You love them at their stage of development. So I don't have to be perfect for God to love me. Everyone says, I don't have to be perfect for God to love me. I don't have to be perfect for God to love me. I don't have to be perfect for God to love me. And it sets you free. It sets you free totally. I was having a conversation with a lady a few days ago that one of the ladies, I, uh, people are, are disciplined, you know, and she was saying how there's a lot of work she's doing and she's not really had time for a quiet time and, and, you know, and she's struggling to strike that balance. And she was saying that she noticed a difference that before, you know, that used to be a point of condemnation for her. Why she's striving to get a balance and she will get a balance. I told her a few things she can do to get a balance. But she says the difference now is that 
when she's driving and the devil brings strong condemnation, you have not prayed, you have not... She says, she says to the devil, what, how is that your business? She says, for the first time, the devil actually shuts up. Because she knows I'm a child, of course, between me and my father. He has nothing to do with you. <laughs> nothing. I was happy. Yeah, finally, she's, she's gotten it. And by extension, the same thing is with life. Things don't have to be perfect for me to be happy with my life. Things don't have to be perfect for me to enjoy my marriage. You see, some of us, we want things to be perfect before I can enjoy my husband or my wife or my children. Listen, by the time you know it, your, all your hair will be gray. And things will still not be perfect. <laughs> you better begin to enjoy it when? Now, everybody say things don't have to be perfect for me to be happy. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful because God is not only <laughs> for us. God is not only with us. Sorry. God is for us. So you don't have to be perfect for God to love you. But guess what? But God loves you too much to leave you the way you are. And you know, sometimes that's where we miss it. And that's why we don't get the uncomfortable dealings that God brings our way. To get us to grow up and match up. Well, you don't have the perfect for God to love you. But God loves you too much to leave you the way you are. He loves you too much to leave you the, the way you are. Too much. Too much. Man, imagine... If a son is changing the diaper of your son when he's six months and he's waiting for you to, to open that diaper and as you open it, he just prays you, you know. You can shout, but you're okay. Imagine a 16-year-old is waiting for you to open the door of his room <laughs> and as you open the door, he just prays you. <laughs> what will you do? <laughs> you will flog nonsense out of the boy. Now, the fact that you are flogging the boy, does it mean you hate him? Does it mean his status has changed? Does it make him less of a child? What has changed? Your expectation of him has changed. And that is big. You see, and that's why a lot of us miss God. Sometimes we don't know that God's expectation of us has changed. And we are still peeing in his face. And he's saying, don't try that, boy. Don't just hold that thing. <laughs> Infants feel that the parents exist to meet, his, or to meet their needs. So the infant feels that the parents exist to meet his or her needs. And that is, I mean... I need food. I want to pick. You know, I, I, I don't like something. And every time you say, what happens? The parents are, what's happening? And you know, you, we get to in a spiritual work with God. When we are infants, it's as if that's what God is doing. Before you say, in Jesus' name, miracles are falling from heaven. Ah, you're like, this, this Christianity is sweet. <laughs> Why? Because as an infant, your love for your parents is not required of you. You need to get that. As an infant, your love for your parents is not required of you. It's all about your parents' love for you. But as you mature, that requirement increases. It increases. It increases. Same thing spiritually. So, when you first give your life to Jesus, you're an infant, you pray, miracle is falling from heaven. Oh, Christianity is fine, it's fantastic. You know, you just, you know, you, maybe you don't have a car. You're like, well, the bus stop is filled with people. And you're like, oh Lord, you know I cannot fight for the bus. Please let the bus come and stand right in front of me. I mean, I mean you know that happens. I mean, that's happened to me. And the bus just passes, everybody's running, and it stops right in front of you. And you just step into the bus. Ah, like Jesus is good. 
infancy. Infancy. It's like, but you see, when you mature spiritually, God's expectation of you changes. The expectation of your love for him changes. When you are an infant, your love for him is irrelevant. No child, no mother, no father demands love from a baby before they do what they do. But as we grow, expectation, they begin to have housework. They begin to have responsibilities. You are washing the car, you are cutting the, you are doing this, you are doing that. You know, why? Because expectation changes. The problem with a lot of Christians is that we want to remain infants. And we feel that if we are not infants, something is wrong. Nothing is wrong. God wants us to grow up. A spiritual infant, for instance, is mostly concerned about me. Me. So, for a spiritual infant, it's not me or Jesus. For a spiritual infant, it's me or, or me. Choose one. It's me or me. But as you mature, which you are, which is why I believe God is sending us this word this season, you begin to wrestle with me or Jesus. I want to play this game, but my father wants me to wash his car. Me or daddy? Me or Jesus? <laughs> you know, we begin to have the, the conflict. We are conflicted. It's a proof of growth. It means you are growing. It's, don't worry about it. It's normal. It's normal. In John chapter 21, 16, 15 to 17, we won't read it. In, in that scripture, Peter, Jesus asked Peter three solid times, Peter, do you love me? I says, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus will keep quiet. He's telling, feed my lamb. And you keep quiet. Then you ask him again, Peter, do you love me? I was offended. But Lord, you know that I love you. He feed my lamb. He asked him the third time. He says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter was almost crying. He said, but you know all things. You know I love you. Jesus said, if you love me, you will feed my life. What's, what's, the, what's, what, what's that story telling us? Peter's season has changed. When you're a child, your demonstration of your love spiritually now is based on, demo, on devotion. On devotion. When you're a teen, spiritually, your demonstration of love is, is based on contribution. What am I contributing to the house? What am I serving? Am I, what am I doing? What are my contribution? But when you mature spiritually, your contribution, your, your, your demonstration of love to Jesus is multiplication. Am I producing? Feed my land. God, and it's, it's cumulative. Ah, I don't have time to unpack this. It's cumulative means that go, when you grow from being a child to a teenager, you're not supposed to leave your devotion. You're supposed to add it to your what? Contribution. When you move from being a teenager spiritually to an adult, you're not supposed to leave your devotion and contribution. You're supposed to add it to your what? Multiplication. However, when you are a teenager, your devotion will not be your benchmark for your love for God. To be your contribution. When you become an adult spiritually, it is not your devotion. You like spend three hours praying that will determine your, your love for God. It's not your contribution that will determine your love for God. It's your what? Multiplication. Do you love me more than this? Feed my land. It's big. 
It's not many people that can get it now. It's okay, get the CD. You are going to listen to it over and over again. God will open it up to you in Jesus' name. So, and he's saying, not, not, <laughs> this is, this is big, this is huge. Can, can we, um, okay. <clears throat> he says, not the love for the cause. He says, Jesus, do you love the cause, the movement? It's, it's not the love for the church. It is a Jesus, do you love the church? Do you love the, the lambs? Do you love the, the sheep? Not even Jesus' love for Peter. Not God's love for you. He says, Peter, Peter, do you know I love you? No, 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 no. It is your love for him. If you get that, you'll be fine. It's your love for him. So a time will come in your walk with God when what takes you to the next level, what takes you forward is your love for Jesus. A time will come in your work with God when it's not your devotion that will take you forward. If you're a child, it will be. Because that will be a representation of your love for Jesus. But if you're a teenager, it will not be. If you're an adult spiritually, or God is trying to push you into adulthood, a time will come when it's not your contribution that will take you forward. And that will demonstrate your love for Jesus. It will be your multiplication. Remember, we are laying the foundation for this series. Me, or, or who, or Jesus. But you see, when we mature, when, you, when we mature, when you're a child, it's me or me. When you are flexing and maturing, it is me or Jesus. But you, when you mature, it is Jesus or Jesus. But that's not where we are. That's not where we are. It's in verse 18 of that same John 21. Jesus says that when you grow up, when you mature, you will be led to where you don't want to go. You have a choice in the matter. It is not about, I want to, I want to stay in this place, part of the world. No, no, it is what does Jesus want? Where does Jesus want me to stay? Left to me, I'll be doing a PhD. By now, I should have finished PhD. They should have been calling me Dr. Monet. Maybe. I don't know. Ducky, maybe. I don't know. But you see, when you're an adult, you, you, you're, you're, you remove your choice from the equation. It's Jesus or Jesus. But our series is what? Because you can't get to Jesus of Jesus if you are not even dealing with me, you don't know how to handle me or Jesus. I mean, it's flustered in my face everywhere as a pastor. And it's a good thing because it's a stage we are in as a church. As a people, majority, that is. So when, when, the, when the joy of beginning quickly gives way to the difficulty of continuing, we wrestle with that question, me or, or Jesus. Then we have to choose, am I going to honor God or not? Why? Because honor is the singular proof that a child loves his father. What, what's the proof that a child loves his father? Honor. That's the singular proof. It is not how much you hug him. It is not how much I say, daddy, I love you. It is honor. Everybody say honor. Jesus says, they call me Lord, Lord. But they, our heart is far away from me. They, in vain do they worship me. They don't do what I tell them to do. They don't honor me. God says in Malachi 1.6, He says, if I am your father, if I am your father, where is my honor? If I am your father, where is my honor? The singular proof of love for the father is what? It's honor. He says, a son honors his father. A servant is master. He says, then, if I be your father, where is my honor? If I'm your master, okay, I'm, you, don't, you don't want to relate to me as father, son, you're a servant. Fine. So, take it. Where is my fear? That's what God is saying. Says the Lord of hosts. God doesn't joke with honor. God doesn't joke with honor. I've given you an example before. The father says to the son, son, go and wash the car. 
And the son says, oh, I am not going to wash the car. Is that honoring for the father? That's dishonoring. Then the mom comes and the mom says, oh, what you have done is so wrong. How can your daddy tell you to wash the car? And you will tell him you are not going to wash the car. Go and say sorry. And the boy comes to the father and prostrates on the floor and rolls on the floor and says, daddy, I'm sorry, daddy, I'm sorry, daddy, I'm sorry. And the father says, okay. And the boy gets up and goes back to play his game and still refuses to wash the car. And the father says, why you not wash the car? He says, but I've said sorry. I've said sorry. And that's interesting that a lot of people deal. That's how they deal with God. God doesn't joke with his honor. doesn't go with respect. He doesn't joke with his value, the value you place on him. You know, it's so important to God that, you know, you cannot even come into God's presence if you don't value him. God will not let anyone into his presence who doesn't value him. He won't. You can come to church and not be in God's presence. You can come to church, everybody's in God's presence. And you're not. You know why? Because we don't value God. How do I know? God says, come into his presence with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. You praise only what you value. The reason you are not praising your husband or your wife, you are not telling her how beautiful she is, how, it's because you don't value. That's it. If you value God, you will praise him. And when you praise him, he will usher you in. If you don't value him, he will treat you from a distance. May God not treat you from a distance in Jesus' name. But you see, the truth is that a child cannot bring consistent honor to the father without the child loving the father. What makes a child able to honor the father consistently is what? Love. You will love the Lord your God with all your heart. And if you, if you struggle with that, you cannot really consistently honor God. And in all the other situations that you find yourself in. So a child that doesn't love the father will dishonor him and see nothing wrong with it. You know, the, if you read that scripture in Malachi 1, it says, it says that you, you dishonor me and you say, how have we dishonored you? That's what they said to God. How have we dishonored you? What did we do wrong? You know, some people, will, they will slap you on your face and say, ah, what did we do? Pastor, we didn't do anything. Tell us what we did. Tell us. I said, no, I won't tell you. You didn't do anything. Go. Bye-bye. Foolish man. You didn't do anything. <sighs> you tie it back to the servant that fails and the son that fails. What's the difference? The servant that fails Feels bad because his job is on the line. The son that fails feels bad because he lets his father down because he loves his father. That, that, that's just the key. So, when we are looking at me or Jesus, me or Jesus, it's not a laborious option if you love him. It's only, it's only an option that you sweat about if your heart is with him. And one question that under, underlines our decision is, 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 is it worth it? Is this worth it? Me or Jesus? Is it worth it? If I choose Jesus, is it worth it? What is the need for me? Which one will pay me more? If I choose me or if I choose Jesus? You know, that is how the natural man thinks. But you see, if I choose Jesus just because it pays me, then it's still all about me. And I have just chosen me. So it's still me or me. If I choose Jesus because it will pay me, if the only reason I, let's say, give or I pay my tithe is because, ah, God will bless me. I will have a hundredfold. Well, that is true, but if that is the only reason you tithe, then you have missed it. The whole purpose of tithing. God says, honor me with this. So, if, if you, if you, and just as an example, if you come and you are tithing, yes, God says, I will bless you, I will rebuke the divorce for your sake. Everybody will say there's a casting down, you will say there's a lifting up, and on and on and on. 
But when you come, you are coming, I am coming to honor God. Huge. Big. Different. So as we lay the foundation of this series, and look at all that God will have us do. The question is, is it going to be me? Or is it going to be Jesus? But you see, so unfortunately, sometimes we cannot connect the trouble we are in with the decisions we have made. We cannot connect the mess with the source. Sometimes, sometimes we are not able to see that you are where you are because you have chosen a particular path. And we just want God to mop up the mess. Whereas God is saying, we will deal with the mess, but we need to sort out the source of the mess. As I close, let me tell you this story. It's, it's, it's what is being used by, um, um, for psychiatric inmates before they are discharged. It's a test in some part of, of the world that they give them before they discharge them. So they, 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 they take them to, to a bathroom and they pluck the sink, you know, with the black stuff. You plug the, the sink and they turn on the tap. So the sink is plugged, the tap is running. After a while, the water will be spilling, Right? And the floor. So they will take this inmate that they want to set free and they will give him the mop and they will tell him that he should be mopping, he should, he should clean up the, the place. And some of the inmates for 20 minutes will be mopping the floor. Meanwhile, the water is running. It's running. After 20 minutes, they just say, okay, come, come. They just take them back to the, <laughs> to the camp. <laughs> they are not ready to be free. <laughs> but some of them, after less than two minutes, once they enter, once they begin to mop, they stop. They put up the tap. Then they now continue to mop. They come, they say, you are ready to be free. And they set them free. And it's easy to look at them and say, well, I mean, but that's how some of us are, a lot of us. We like to leave the tap running. God just take care of the mess. Let's just mop the mess. But God says, no. You need to turn up the tap. Have you made a connection between the mess and the source of the mess? Let's bow our hearts as we bow our heads. Is it going to be me or is it going to be Jesus? I want to pray with you today. You're saying, Pastor, I get it. I get it. It has to be Jesus. I want to surrender to him. What shall I do? What shall I do? I want to pray with you wherever you're sitting. Should I come forward? No, you don't need to come forward. Wherever you are seated, I want to pray with you. Put up your hands now. I choose Jesus. God bless you. Put up your hands. God bless you right there. God bless you right there. Oh, you say, Pastor, I used to be born again. I used to be with Jesus. God bless you right there. I, I, can I come back? Yes, you can. Can I join them? Yes, you can. Put up that hand. God bless you. Put it up well over your head. The instructions are scrolling. If you have the card, you can put on the hand and pray and cry to God. The instructions are scrolling for those of us that are online. If you are here, God bless you. Keep the hands up. Keep the hands up. It's okay. If you have the card, you can put on the hand and talk to God. Talk to God. The rest of us, I want us to just think about what we have heard. Are you still at the infant stage? Me or me? Are you still thinking life is about you? Are you me or Jesus? And for some of us, God even wants to promote us to Jesus or Jesus. Father, we pray for everyone that is surrendering to you today. We ask, as they've made a public decision to follow you, reveal yourself to them, my Father. Cleanse them totally. Save them. And let your name be glorified. Pray for us all as we delve deeper into this series. We ask that you breathe upon us, Father. All the glory we give unto you. In Jesus' mighty name, we are afraid.
Amen. Praise the name of the Lord.